Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. 25 seconds in before making any of the good jokes. Let's leave it all. Yeah, I've used all my. Let's already. leave it all in the, the cutting. Are you going to use this then. bit right here? Because I was I promised know, a certain. Man. I don't know, man. I was. I, oh my god! Look, he brought I, it up too. We had we had made a pact. You really did. You did know you, what I mean? Did you? Uh, okay, so we're at okay, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. It died at twenty last time. <laughs> okay, if it if it dies at forty-five seconds, we'll just have to tolerate that. It's fine. Um, I'm just not touching my mic. Yeah, it'll be fine. Okay. Do you want to try touching the mic now to see if to like <laughs> confirm <laughs> if that's the problem? No. All right. No, I know I really don't. We'll shoot it. To be quite honest. Yeah, why not? You know, yes. scientific method. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, we adhere to the scientific method here on Trial of a Literal Roundtable podcast, where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trial on Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trial of Podcast. You can find the Trial on at Trial on Cinema and at trialon.org, where you can get tickets uh, to showings for, for movies like the one we're about to talk about today. My name is Jason Daphnis. I help make this podcast. Um, if there, I have one piece of advice for you, listener, it is don't mess with girls. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. I'll cut off your dick and feed it to the pigs. And you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. <laughs> God damn it. He <laughs> <laughs> delivered it perfectly. Too. Yeah, no, yeah. just like this is a really three hour a movie. Job. I completely forgot that uh, <laughs> that, that is definitely a line that's in this one. Um, well, um, I'm Harry Mackin and uh, I've never killed anyone, but um I, I know what it's like to kill because that's what I get from movies. And you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. And uh, my name is Aaron. And maybe if you got rid of that old yee ass haircut you got, you get some on your. You yes. Find me on Twitter Fuck at yes. RB, please. That is what I, honestly, I hoped, I, I hoped that was going to be the fucking return. I figured it was going to, somebody had to do it, you know, might that, as well that be That entire me. video game is worth it for that one you know, scene. I was, I was watching this It's like last... the first quest with him, too. Oh, yeah, it's, it's like the only <laughs> good part of that whole game, but it's fine. I was watching it, it's it last a good game. night, and, and uh, I was sitting over Sky, and she was like, why does the phrase yee-yee-ass haircut appear in my brain when I think of this movie? And I was like, <laughs> this is why. And then I Googled it. There are people who have done all sorts of posters and stuff. It's a really good reference meme. Um, but yes, uh, that is, you're right, listener. Uh, you're hearing a familiar voice on the podcast uh, returning to us after, what was this, a, some kind of parental leave? What the fuck were you not on our podcast for for so long? Just kind of a lot of so also i was uh last week i was on vacation mm, in one break vienna actual break if you were if you were thinking i should take a beautiful vacation to europe vienna is not a bad place to go would give vienna vienna gets the hesitant thumbs up which is the best grade some place can get while being a really nice city while lacking the uh, main quality of a great city which is uh having a bunch of cats and dogs in the streets that just kind of run around all the time. A city can be an eight out of a ten, but cannot get to the nine or ten out of ten until there are even when he's explicitly not talking about Turkey. He's talking about. I was Turkey actually referring to Athens. Though. I was going to say um, it's, it's actually yeah. uh, a descriptor of Thessaloniki. Yeah. It's what makes Thessaloniki a top tier city in Europe. Uh, uh, I was also talking about Istanbul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have. Uh, uh, we actually like. 
I feel like this is a momentous occasion. Over the last month or so, I've been tasked with uh, licensing the patented Aaron Grossman summary from AG Enterprises. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a very special uh, new edition of this. I'm, I'm assuming, I'm hoping, Aaron, that you put one together because I sure as hell didn't. Well, and the pressure oh, yeah, is really on because Jason's oh. gotten very good at this. So uh, you better reclaim the crown here, Aaron. Otherwise, you know. I do have can the whole song if bit. you wanted to. Yeah. Can, you, can you play that a, just to hype me up for the, just at least until he goes the, whoa, you know, that That's bit. like 45 seconds in. <laughs> no, absolutely. See, this is why, this is why I am the person deserving of the return of the Mac, because I know exactly <laughs> when he hits the, okay, anyway. Because you show up for our podcast far less than the rest of us. I'm too that's busy why. listening to return of the Mac. <laughs> I'm what do you want me to do? I'm too busy listening. <laughs> Whatever you uh, want no, to start. Okay. Please God, that's a good fucking song, though. <laughs> it's a great bumps. song. Uh, speaking, if you if you don't know, there's an extended version of that that has like a two minute long like jazz intro, like a piano that just like teases Ooh. the themes on Spotify. You can it's find even it. it's better. Good. Yeah, it's even better. Um, uh, no, folks, we are talking about Yee, a 2000 film directed by Edward Yang. Uh, the film follows the individual yet strangely connected lives of the members of the Taiwanese uh, Jian family, Jian family, uh, in the aftermath uh, of a stroke uh, suffered by the grandmother and also the the matriarch of the family. Um, going to be honest here, due to the number of side stories in the film, I'm not going to list them all out. Frankly, if you haven't seen oh, the film, come on. It's your to first this, time you're back freak. and you're not even summarizing the fucking movie. I regret this. Here's what I'll do. This is a, Here's what this I'll do. I'll go through mistake. pretty much the entire cast list uh, uh, and then that'll give you a good good kind of uh, idea of what's going on. We got Wu uh, Nianjin as NJ, uh, the father of the family. Elaine Jin as Min Min, the mother of the family. Kelly Lee as Ting Ting, the daughter Jonathan Chang as Yang Yang, the very young son. Uh, Issy Ogata as the the G himself, Mr. Ota, a potential business partner of NJ's company. Uh, Chen Si Shang as uh, Adi, uh, Min Min's brother. Uh, Su Yun Ko as Sherry, NJ's old ex-girlfriend who comes back into his life kind of randomly. And Chang Yu Pang as Fatty, uh, a boyfriend of one of Ting Ting's friends film was uh, very acclaimed on release. Turns out Yang had received similar acclaim for previous films. Um, This was his last film uh, before he tragically passed away. Um, And he had uh, received a number of, you know, kind of awards and bits of critical acclaim. And he was a very well-known filmmaker, but Yi Yi kind of took that to a whole nother level, even in the years after it was released. Um, Yang won Best Director at Cannes, uh, for example. It's often listed as like, one of the like top single digit uh, films of the 21st century um, and uh, uh, has proven stood the test of time, very influential and a a great kind of showcase of Yang's uh, kind of typical style and how he deals with a lot of the typical themes in his work as well. Uh, That's what I got. That was okay. There we go. That's why he's the best, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. That's, that's what makes him the Mac that returns. I'm letting you go. Fuck yeah, that is that is uh, yeah. the, the patented error grossness summary. Thank you so much. Um, 
we were talking a little bit before the podcast started. This is the first time I've seen Yu Yi, but I've seen, let's see now, three other Yang films. Um, I've seen Terrorizers first, Taipei Story, and A Brighter Summer Day, uh, all of which I've appreciated, um, some of which I've liked more than others. This one, I must say, like I, I think I like it the most. It seems the most grokkable, the most approachable. It's not the longest by about an hour's stretch, uh, and that does help. But it is also, I think, just like sensibilities wise uh the maybe the most like ex, uh, accessible dramatic like narratively i guess like uh i, I wouldn't even say grokkable but it's like even though it's it has so many spiraling stories there's still like a mature complete thread there to like keep coming back to this sort of like hub of the home of the jangs the uh, they're like the, 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 like the way that the characters move through it like and and sort of bounce off of each other in this space um but i must like when I'm describing how I feel about this movie, it is mostly because it's mostly positive just because it does. I guess my comparison is like every of all of the Edward Yang movies I've seen. This one's like uh, fucking Mrs. Doubtfire by comparison. It's just like much easier, much like more watchable in a sense. Um, like it's somewhat less dour. Uh, there's like it's compared to Brighter Summer Day or Terrorizers or Taipei Story. It just has a I hesitate to say lighthearted because it is still very like serious at times. Um, but it's just like more, I, I mean, I, I just keep coming back to watchable, but it like there, it still does elicit those big ideas that Yang stuff has in the previous movies we discussed. Um, like, I don't know. I don't even know where to start generally. I guess maybe now, Harry, I'm starting to feel some of your trepidation about about where to poke into this movie. But like those big ideas for me came down to the like the I'm just going back to my own personal notes here. But those like the idea of two things becoming one. I read that the title is supposed to be like the not necessarily pun, but a play on the way that the letter, the numbers one and two uh, align against each other when written in Mandarin. Um, that, you know, one thing becoming two, a one and a two is the actual title, uh, as translated, but like the idea of two versions of somebody's self, the idea of like two things that they want to be the idea of duality within the self. And like when one of those things cannot, when those things cannot coexist, sort of what, how people respond and how the world reacts around them when they can't be perceived as they, the thing that they want to be perceived as, which is like a multitude of selves kind of thing. Again, this is big ideas, but as Aaron was saying, sort of split out among enough tiny biteable pieces these characters these various spiraling uh interactives excuse me interactions between characters and their own separate stories that keep coming back to um yes this is why we're here this is why we're all here as like members of the family uh we are all here as like uh we're, we're still tied together by these four or five people in this household um this is what we'll keep coming back to that's what kept me feeling like oh there's this you know central root of a story that i can still follow and even when we're going to tokyo to follow nj and sherry like i i still feel like i've got the thread there and we pick back up with min or excuse me ming ming and ting tang sorry and uh, her grandma and like her uh resent excuse me not resentment but um sort of her confusion around her grandma's death and or impending death uh and sort of what she which you know her her feelings of comfort and and the sort of roots she wants to make in her life i'm really sort of blowing this out to a way more complicated thing than i felt about the movie which was just that it is like way more understandable to me a way more like followable and way more watchable in a way than some other yang films i've seen i will kind of i'm saying this is kind of a 
I'm saying this, I guess, maybe uh, kind of putting myself out there in a weird way because I, I was not on the discussions for the previous Yang films. I have seen a few Yang films. I, I think I, I might disagree just kind of personal taste-wise with your um, your kind of portrayal of this as like a more accessible Yang film and that I, I view this as like a... Um, kind of a culmination in what I've seen in like some of his other works. Uh, so I, I saw like, I saw like the very first, like not like the first thing he ever did, but like the first thing that's like listed as like a film of his, which is a, a short film he did called desires for a kind of a collection. Uh, I believe all Taiwanese uh, uh, new wave filmmakers uh, film called in our time. That was a collection of, I believe four or five of these short films. Um, and his film desires pretty good. I think it's the best or maybe the second best in that collection. Um, it, it concerned with like a, a young woman who is like going through puberty first starting to think of like romance and love and contrasting that with, um, like I believe her older sister who is going through a romantic relationship and kind of taking some lessons from that and like being kind of scared as she like, uh, views this other relationship and then tries to like, put herself uh, uh, kind of in those shoes and whatnot. Um, and I see a lot of that in this film, which was Yang's last film. Um, it's of course a little bit longer, um, but I also see it, it feels like a, a weird culmination of a lot of those themes. It feels like him trying to grapple with um, a, a Taiwan specifically uh, as it approaches the 21st century. I think that hmm. this film is like, kind of lucky to be released in 2000 in a weird way. And that it is like, it's absolutely a film about a new I've era. always thought about that too. Uh, just it's like uh, millennium Mambo the next year. Right. Which is like even you more even explicitly about 2001. That? Right. And it loses like 10% of that luster, but there's something about this, like bang out of the gate being released in 2000. That is like kind of extraordinary, I think. Um, but I, I, I gotta be honest. I, I, the film has been uh, kind of improving in my mind and I've been like connecting stuff. I was like kind of uh, not like I don't want to say cold on it, but I was like kind of apathetic during the act of watching it. And as I've been thinking about it, I've been warming up, but I'm kind of hoping that we can maybe uh, get a spark going here for me because I was like weirdly uh, uh, apathetic towards it, even compared to something like like Taipei Story, uh, uh, which I, I would say I kind of really loved when I saw it. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping... Harry, can you uh, whip me into shape here? <laughs> Probably not, actually, uh, which is an interesting place to start. Um, before the podcast started, I expressed some, um, like Jason briefly noted, some um, a, a little bit of reluctance to talk about this movie or, or not. Re reluctance isn't really the right word, but intimidation, maybe. Um, to put my cards on the table, I think that if this isn't my favorite movie of all time, it's in my top five. Um, I think that I felt that way the first time I saw it. I feel that way now, uh, having seen it again. Um, I'm a big Yang guy, obviously, um, more than I think most of the other people on this podcast. But even for that, I consider that this his masterpiece. Um, I've never really thought about it as a culmination, but it seems very clear to me now that that's exactly what it is. So I really like that, Aaron. Um but despite how strongly I feel about it, and despite the fact that I don't disagree with um, Jason's sort of assessment of it as the most accessible, um, I don't take away or I don't have a single big reading that I could write a single essay um, about this movie 
the way I do for something like Brighter Summer Day or Taipei Story or Terrorizers or frankly, most of my other favorite movies, right? Like generally I... I tend to come away from movies that I feel very strongly about with singular theses that I can defend with textual evidence. To be honest, I think this movie is not that. I think it's way too dense for that. Um, and so instead, I take away like about five or six different theses that are more about how this movie makes me feel and what I think it's doing with the characters and the characters' relationships to each other and the characters' relationships to um previous generations and to the city of Taipei and to the future. Um, right. I really liked J Jason's sort of um, assessment of the title and what that means. Um, I think that a lot of my readings come from the distance between what people want to be and how they want to think about themselves and who they are and the sort of frustrating um, yearning that lies at the heart of that and how universal that can be to the human experience. Um, I think that's something that is endemic to all of Yang's movies, but I think that it is most uh, brilliantly captured both visually and thematically here in a lot of ways. Um, but like I said, I, to be honest, this movie reminds me almost more of literature than a, a movie. Um, it kind of reminds me of some of my favorite books, like Hundred Years of Solitude. Um, it reminds me a lot of like Anna Karenina or something, just the way that it's designed. I wish that I could like read it. Um, and I, maybe because of that, uh, and like that's not to say that I'm not going to have a, a lot of takes, <laughs> right, uh, about this movie because I always have a lot of takes. But um, I don't like. I think that I understand exactly what brighter summer day is doing which like maybe that's arrogant right whereas here if somebody was like okay explain to me what yee -ye is about in five words or less or like in one sentence i would be like oh, you can't start i can't start with something like that it would be like well like let me tell you about like what it feels like uh when you're mourning somebody uh and and how that makes you feel about like yourself and and what that makes you reflect on right and like i think that there's just a lot happening in this movie that makes it like unbelievably dense especially on rewatch um which is why i was a little bit like damn like where are we gonna start <laughs> right uh how do you feel about that cody i know you've seen this movie um at least twice now right yeah. Yep. At least twice this is my second time seeing it. Um, first time just a couple years ago. And I, Oh, uh, by the way, fantastic mm -hmm. review. Uh, the first time that you watched it, that helped oh. me a lot. So I really liked Cody's letterbox review. Do you get to say at least twice of the answer is twice? I mean, t you're, you're mathematically correct, but all right, buddy, you're on thin ice with that one. You're, you're giving yourself a little more credit. You're about to round up to three. Ooh. I can tell. No, I if I, listen. If if I make it through uh, what and one hour twenty eight minutes of another viewing of this movie, then I'll say I'll have watched it three times because that'd right. be right. okay. Fair. Yeah, that's that's only fair. As as the person here, the only person here who had a, an area of of study planted firmly in mathematics. Uh, I feel like I'm in in my right. That's the only other thing I can really do with that degree uh, in my adult life. At many years later, but um, yeah, no, I. I really love this movie. Uh, thinking back to the first time I watched it, if you like, I, I felt very moved by it. And in the moment, like the evening I did watch it, if you had asked me within a week later, what, not just what the movie was about, but like what the plot of Yee Yee was, fuck, I wouldn't have been able to tell you uh, anything. Like I would not have been able to name characters. And like, I, I felt that too, uh, upon this rewatch as well. Like so, some things I definitely latched on to more um for example basic plot and character details but the way that this movie sort of floats by um like uh, unless you're 
you're really looking for it. Um, I don't know. I, I could see how, how people's experiences and readings with this film might be a little bit different, but I, I definitely, I think get the, especially after having watched a couple other, um, uh, Edward Yang films for this current trial on slate, uh, and even just kind of mapping the progression of them, um, like type a story and a brighter summer day among many, many, many other things, um, kind of expressing different sorts of, um, like, uh, uh I don't know, like, uh, genres of restlessness there we go um when it comes to like forming identities sort of before like on the cusp of like seeking out um somewhere new and then after finding somewhere new and then yi yi feels comparatively like more comfortable with the um i don't know like with its exterior environment um the city that we're in but there are just like different knots that we have to untangle in this movie and if anything to your point harry about like trying to come up with a thesis for this movie um like it's damn near impossible but what i did find myself gravitating toward this time was how every character has their own sort of contribution to like not necessarily one big thesis but like they're like each of them has their own thing that they're going through and those all come together really really well um the fact that you know like min min has um like monotony for her is just like absolutely painful and that informs her trajectory and then it ripples outward and affects her family nj um i think uh says to mr oda at some point that it's like uncertainties that really frighten him uh yang yang he has that i mean that great journal entry at the end which i won't get into now but like he has his own um desires about what he wants and what he sees himself as he's like progressing through life and hitting that point where he's like oh i can finally like consider myself to be like older now or you know like somebody who's actually going through capital i it um ting ting asks that question at the end like why is the world so different from like what like is is this the world that we thought that it was going to be i don't like all of those come into this big sort of melting pot of like i don't know i i think about chan is missing where like even if like there might not be a definitive answer but we know either what the parts are or we know what the answer is not and that is yeah um, like equal yeah go ahead like uh jason said there are commonalities that are important between all of those Mm -hmm. different stories that sort of suggest something more universal right right exactly and so the i think they they culminate in in half truths or partial truths they may not be like my truths but they are truths and i i don't know i found a ton of comfort uh inhabiting those truths again even if like they're not the fact that they were developed so well is i don't know it's like an, a supreme accomplishment uh, and i love this movie for that uh, i really like that you brought up those um like that that universal idea like i think i don't know if i need to but i feel like i would like to maybe defend a little bit of what i was saying in the beginning like again it, subjective experience and everything aside um the idea that like i i find this movie easy to comprehend and like very comfortable is uh mostly comes from that idea like harry was saying that like there is some something that unifies these stories like obviously like you said harry six or seven good solid essays worth could just be built on individual subjective reads of sort of like the context and the ways the characters interact and you know some of those like you could probably write or think something entirely about just one of those stories that this movie focuses on when there are, you know, five or six distinct storylines. But it's where they unify. It's like in either thematically or literally narratively that they unify that I'm like, Oh, now I understand why each of these things is sort of the way they are, why the pieces are in place. There's like, 
again, those, those, uh, the ideas that we had in, or that I had in, um, while watching Taipei story and brighter summer day, where it's like, we have this core concept of an idea. And this is maybe the reductive way that I approach movies these days, but like this core concept of an idea and characters that sort of are avatars of different, like the parts of that idea, maybe like different areas on that spectrum, maybe like different dots on that graph. Um, and like separated in this movie by uh, three distinct generations separated in Taipei story by a focus on either the future of the past separated on brighter summer day by like the experience of living in Taiwan at that time and being a youth or being like, uh, you know, sort of um, um, more, I guess, having seen the changes of Taiwan over the last 40 years of its existence, or having like, just experiencing them as they're going on that kind of thing. Like there's something that usually separates these characters from like, I guess there's, there's the unifying idea. And then there's some aspect of each character that makes them look at it differently or makes them like exhibit differently to me. Like in this movie, it is, like I said, those, that idea of, uh, you know, two things becoming one, or at least trying to uh, like, again, just in, in my notes from while watching, like it's, uh, like portraits of people leading double lives or trying to um, like trying to contain multiple images and ideas of themselves. Uh, like NJ, I suppose is like kind of the company man. And he wants to be like the life appreciator too. He wants to find like something new and radical and beautiful to bring to the masses, but he also loves music. He uh, like, he's a husband and a lover. He's like a uh, fatty wants to be a boyfriend and a friend fatty. Um, there is, but like, I think the movie comes around to this idea that for all of these people, there is no leading that like double life. There is no um, like you can't see. And like, that's where Yang Yang's whole like tiny man philosophies come in is like, there's no le like you, you can't, you can't see both paths while you're living one of them. You can't see one path while living the other. Uh, you can't see what's behind you. Like you can only ever know half the truth of yourself. If you're living one way, if you want to be two things, like if, uh, uh, again, like, uh, NJ is a great example. Um, uh, like, uh, and, uh, uh, Geez, who am I thinking of? I, I I think I'm considering Oda when I'm thinking of like he wants to be successful. He wants to be like a well-rounded businessman, uh, but also he wants to have like he wants to uh, kind of like NJ. This is where they connect. Is he wants to um like revolutionize and and make people feel and think differently through products that he brings. Like he has that whole first meeting with NJ at dinner where they're talking about you know their business goals and stuff, and he says, "Forget that. We're gonna like talk about." why why we're doing this like who we are as people and i think there's that like two realizations of the self that obviously a lot of people feel in modern life caught between like corporate jobs and like a desire to live and 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 uh and and having a lived experience um and it's because of like a character like yang yang who is like this sort of subversion of that that he is literally showing every adult in his life that they cannot have that that they cannot have two distinct opposing but like um, uh, uh, contained ideas of themselves because he has to like in taking pictures of the backs of people's heads, he has this idea that, um, like you there, I know something about you that you don't know. I forget exactly what he says to Adi, but he says something like, you can't see it for yourself. So I showed it to you when he shows him a picture of the back of his head. So I'm showing you like he just in a little, you know, philosophic way. Um, like I think the movie is trying to say that like you can identify 
those things that you choose to want to be and but like they can't really coexist and uh like you might be them for both of them for a small amount of time like those little fleeting moments that nj has with sherry in tokyo or um that fatty and ting ting have uh, as like you know potential budding lovers but like they can't last long people run from them i think there's a whole other question about what these characters do when they realize that when those when that like that a conflicting idea of, of what you can be of the two things that you'd like to be cannot be together. Like you can't stack them perfectly on top of one another. Um, I think like the idea of running away from it, the idea of like succumbing to the depression and grief of it all, uh, the idea of reaching out for somebody else is obviously a big idea is a, is a big theme there. Um, but I, I guess like, again, I don't know if it's clear from my ramblings, but the way that I like was able to even corral some of this movie's story in my mind was like, okay, so uh, Ting Ting's story is like a manifestation of that theme and NJ's story is a manifestation of that theme. And uh, even I think it's Min Min, the uh, NJ's wife who runs away to the yeah. Buddhist, yeah, the Buddhist uh, retreat. She like has a whole, like uh, her, like her whole story of like, living every single day and feeling like she's um like just living the same thing over and over blank uh is is in direct opposition to ota's view that like every day is a fresh start every day is new but the whole like um uh like even her story and the fact that she comes back and finds that like actually it's the same thing everywhere and i'm the one who needs to like change my perspective about things that even is a manifestation of that same core trunk of an idea i know i've talked a really long time about this but i th feel like i'm i'm still coming up with as we talk I'm still coming up with the words for uh, like explaining how I ended up feeling about this movie, which was a lot like, I feel like is a lot simpler than, uh, than, than maybe it deserves. No, I actually think that, um, well, for, for one, like this is exactly why I love this podcast so much. Right. Because like, I think you're helping me understand this movie a lot better, which is one of my favorite movies, but I feel like I've never thought about it exactly like that. Mostly because honestly, I've just never read the title that way. Like I always read it as like one after another. And I always read it as like a generational theme. Like, yeah, like sequential. Um, I really like oh, the wow. idea that it, that it's about, uh, sort of like two parallel lines. Um, I also, you know, like, like, bingo card time but like i also read this as a hauntological movie right i also read this about characters who are united um by this common thematic thread before you explained it so well i was actually going to bring up like let's talk about that right but to me it was never so much about one singular alternative path so much as it was about like the garden of forking paths right where like all of these characters like had so many other alternatives and like ab abilities to like branch off into different directions and different lives they could be leading and the fact that they aren't leading those creates this Again, this this like elemental yearning that's at the heart of this movie, this like ache that all of these characters feel that's so well depicted by the visual language of the movie, right? Like for one thing, like for a movie that's so much about intimacy, like I, I don't – how many close-ups are in this movie? Not many is the answer. Like we're almost Zero. always seeing yeah, – yeah, seeing these characters from across a room, usually <laughs> from between glass – often from the outside looking in, but even when they're not, there's always something in the foreground, usually between the characters, or we're, we're seeing them at a, a great distance wandering through a path or something, right? And often with the uh, reflections of the city interposed on top of them, I would say that that's sort of this movie's like signature visual metaphor, right? Is this idea that like the city is literally like, like interlaid over their uh, act, like their, um, uh, 
like reactions to each other and their interactions. And um, to me, that was that always represented very similar to what you're saying, Jason. This sort of like universal idea that. And it's it's very similar to what we talked about in in the mood for love, actually, um, but in a little bit more generalized a way, where it's like everyone has this sort of like yearning to be something else, to sort of like have a different life, to feel a different way. They think that that is who they really are inside, and they can't understand why they aren't that person and they are this person instead. All they know is that the interchange between these two lives, the lives that they have and the lives they think they should have or the lives that they feel like they are, um, the distance between those two things is creating this alienation from themselves, right? Um, And I think you're right, Jason. I think this movie is about very specifically how different generations of people and different sort of perspectives handle this same idea, right? The same idea that like you would never get to have this sort of satisfaction you never get to find like the answers right and that's the thing that i feel so intimately or so profoundly about this movie is the like how desperate and how unsort of like academic or unintellectual this yearning for answers are right like you can feel the way these characters are hunting for answers to why they feel the way they feel or why they don't feel the way they feel, right? You can feel it like the thing that I love about this movie so much is it like it rewrites the way you th- you see the the visuals, right? Where it's like all of a sudden I'm thinking about cities a different way. I'm thinking about them as this sort of nexus of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who have had experiences like this, who are living lives they like other than the lives they think they should have, even as they're living those lives, right? This sort of idea that there's like a ghost version of ourselves right. that same, exists for every one of us. Same thing, um, like as in the um, the scenes with Sherry and NJ, where they're at the uh, temple in Tokyo. Right, I think it's a shrine. Like they're heading up the stairs, and uh, we do don't get a single close up of them in this their entire backs, conversation. Right? Yeah, right. And I mean, even like like Cody pointed out, um, like the back of people's heads is another one of the big metaphors of this, right? Like the thing that they can't see themselves. Um, I always sort of like thought of that as like generational wisdom, right? This sort of idea that like, uh, it's, it's a little bit like, um, hundred years of solitude where it's like people doomed to 100 years of solitude will not have a second chance on this earth. It's like, if only we could see that we're making the same mistakes that, our parents did or our parents' parents, then maybe we could do something. But like, damn, that's the problem, right? Is that like nobody actually has that information um, except maybe with movies, right? So like I said, there there are so many threads happening in this movie. But um, the big one for me is all about um, what you had stated, Jason, which is this idea that like, what does it mean that like nobody gets to be who they think they are? And they all have to be somebody else instead. And that there is something fundamental to the human experience about how that feeling and that sort of search for sort of existential answers about why we feel that way drives so much of who we are and our behavior, right? It's sort of like it's this observation of a universal quality of humanity and an exploration of that feeling as it pertains to a bunch of different people in a certain place and time. And and how they how they all relate to each other through that feeling as well, for sure. And you two, um, I think, brilliantly characterizing that got me thinking about some of the other things that um, stuck with me rewatching this. The sort the even when these characters are 
seemingly happily like occupying space in this city. Like there are, I, I think at this point, fundamentally classic Yang techniques that like we've seen in other movies also. And the fact that this movie, for example, like starts with a wedding uh, and the idea that a wedding is one of those sorts of things that, I mean, it's a unification like, back to Jason's right. metaphor. That's great. It, exactly. Like very, like very broadly, generally, traditionally. Um, yeah. Like a unification, a sort of landmark event where like a piece of your, your identity, your fundamental self, like kind of falls into, into place and is defined in a certain way. And like, we're, we're sort of watching this. Um, like I, I think about the banquet scenes, like we're, we're watching the banquet and e- like the, even the scenes where, it's, you know, a, a group of people, I can't even tell what they're doing because as it's been said, like they're framed at a distance, but like, it's a lot of people together, but it's that, um, that again, that classic sort of Yang, um, when he like pulls out and gives almost too much space, the fact that there's so much like dead, um, like floor and, and table room on either side, the fact that there are empty tables sort of in front of them. And the fact that we're cutting from shots where we know it's just like bored children at a table and just sober adults being like, not wanting to be there at that particular moment. Um, like that, that is one of the many sort of, uh, like truths that this movie creates where I'm like, I've been there. I've been a kid at a wedding with like a bunch of other dumb kids that I don't like wanting to go home or go to McDonald's or something. Oh man, that uh, is the other thing about this movie, right? Is that there are so many moments that you just feel that are like immediately empathetically resonant and like yeah. recognizable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, th- there are, there are a lot of moments like that in this movie where it's that's um, like there's where we're, we're, we're superficially finding solace in like togetherness and being in the city, but there's, there's still something missing. It's that whole yearning um, feeling that, that you guys are talking about Um, the, and uh, it was noted the, the lack of close-ups and there aren't many close-ups there. There are very, very few, but when a close-up occurs, obviously like the lack of them makes it so when they happen, they really stick with you and they are for significant, like a really like obvious glaring reason. Um, The one that I thought of first when I was thinking like as a sort of prompt for myself, like what are some of the close-ups in this movie? Um, I think like it's as close as we get to a close-up in, I think in most cases, but it's towards the latter stages of the movie. Yang Yang, he's, he just dropped a water balloon uh, on a teacher goes in uh, like hides out in a classroom. And then this girl who's like one of his, tormentors um as like the wikipedia summary puts it like she comes in and she stands in front of the screen and it's just like you can see something just oh man Uh, it's so good that scene (laughs) yeah and while this movie doesn't uh like hold many answers like few if any it is sort of it is something you can see the gears turning it is sort of a revelation for this young kid where like this is the sort I don't like this is sort of the next version of myself I could be as he's like her silhouetted against like 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 thunder like a thunderstorm happening it's really really picturesque and and like a very striking sequence where he's just like it's I don't know one of the few times where he doesn't necessarily have like an emotion or like a quip to say in that moment um but it's uh it's the moment music makes sense to him right which is like the the brilliance of this movie is that they literally like earlier on stated in words exactly what the the significance of that scene is which is when uh um Oda and um NJ are um hanging out getting drunk together uh 
NJ explains that he used to listen to classical music with his family every day um, and hated it until he turned 15 and fell in love for the first time. And then he said music made sense to him then. like all. And then he says, and this is like maybe my one of my favorite lines in cinema history. He's like, then she went away, but music still makes sense to me. Like the music still means something, right? And I feel like, again, for a movie that is so dense, like that's one of the big sort of like keystones for the entire plot of the movie right is that like oh like it's because there's a moment in everybody's life again a lot like uh in the mood for love where the music starts to make sense right and then for most of us maybe this movie would argue for all of us that is not always like there is a point where we can't be that anymore like jason said but we always have that knowledge of ourselves as sort of like the time that we felt most like ourselves the time like where we felt like we were living the timeline we were supposed to be living (laughs) and um that ache sort of follows you through uh your whole life right and i think Mm -hmm. that like it's interesting that that i think it's not an accident that like a lot of the yang yang um moments are used close-ups less sparingly than the rest of the the movie like i think we see yang yang close up a lot more often we see him in smaller spaces certainly such as the bathroom um because like this is a a coming of age story for him in that he's discovering for the first time what that feels like right he's sort of becoming a a a person because he's he's growing to an age where he can recognize that in himself right yeah i mean i I, the film does treat him quite a bit different and i think that it is because he is kind of compared to the the grandmother who is in a coma kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum right? right where Pointedly, I, I think all of the characters in the middle are kind of, and you guys have been touching on this a little bit, but as far as like my, I know everybody else was like, oh, there's no main thesis about the movie or whatever. My main like take about this film is that it is about multiple generations of characters in this family who are faced with a world in which the structures and standards that existed previously no longer makes sense, right? Mm. And that everything is being thrown into confusion, whether that's work or education or marriage and dating and whatnot. Um, The standards that existed for those things no longer make sense, kind of moving into this new era, and they don't know what to do kind of in that absence, right? Um, I think that, like, there's an element of that with Yang Yang, I think specifically in regard to his schooling and kind of his interactions with his teacher and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for the most part, he is kind of a blank slate uh, yeah. to a certain extent and that he is f- kind of free to pave uh, be- because he does not kind of lack the the perspective that the other characters lack with the whole back of the head thing. I think he is kind of free to, if he wants to, kind of pave his own route. I think you can pessimistically say that he won't do that, right? But I think that there is a sense that NJ and Min Min and even uh, Ting Ting as a, I think, 13-year-old are already kind of defined by by roles that then very quickly let them down Mm -hmm. uh, as the world changes. Um, But I don't think we're supposed to view that that is the case for Yang Yang. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, And so... I think it's definitely that he's... Like, he is that new like how do i even say this he is like i get the feeling that um in this movie's world and what it's saying about like the emotion and definition of self over time i get the feeling that 
every character in this movie was once like Yang Yang was like a like because they were young because right. they were it, yeah because they had that perspective that like you said Aaron they that, that the adults just no longer have like they are sort of like in prescribed yeah. roles seeking other prescribed roles etc. Um, and I think that he is rather than being just like the like, curiosity blank slate I think he is like he's the agent of that change like he is the new thing yes you know he he is the one who can show others kind of the yeah. things that they don't know like I I. I other other people, I think if we're if we're take if we're kind of abstracting this to some sort of kind of like overall metaphorical level, I think we we do understand that everybody was once like Yang Yang, but nevertheless, there is also kind of the knowledge that he is different in a manner, uh, and that his presence, I think, kind of also does stand for something. I don't. I think that like the pessimistic reading, oh, yeah, of course, like, oh, he's he's going to become three or four more years, and he's going to be right next to to Ting Ting, you know, while asking out you know ladies and getting shot down and and one of his friend dies or whatever you know i like that may happen but like i think within the confines of this film i think he is supposed to be kind of a like a bright light um that is like different from the other characters in a way uh i don't know if i agree with that entirely mostly because i i don't actually think that this movie is as sort of cynical about those characters as you I do, think yes um and, uh, yeah, and also yeah. like i think i read the ending as yang yang coming of age and and sort of realizing why uh he's sort of like he has a perspective he also lacks a perspective right and i think that with age and experience and this experience that he had through the movie and understanding other people he comes to gain an understanding of why everyone else is acting the way that they're acting and sort of comes to internalize it himself a little bit. Um, I also want to say, I really like your characterization of this sort of new age where roles don't make any sense anymore. Um, I, the only sort of like equivocation I would make there is that I think that the point of the grandma and particularly the fact that the grandma can't respond to them and the fact that they keep looking to her for answers that they know they can't give. um, And then they all sort of like come to their own uh, conclusions about what those lack of answers mean. Um, To me, this is not a movie that is nostalgic about like the, the past roles. I think that this is a movie that pointedly says that like part of growing up is realizing that the roles that you thought existed in the world never existed, even in like a previous age. And that in fact, like what you had prescribed to a certain angst or anxiety uh based on roles and and the ill-fitting nature of roles or the um entrapment of roles uh actually came from a different place which is this sort of like universal anxious notion that the roles that we prescribe for ourselves or that are prescribed upon us don't actually exist in nature right and never did and like that i guess that's that's maybe not as as like um fundamental a difference with your reading uh but i think it's kind of an important one to get at right is that there is this sort of like this coming of age disappointment with the world not being the way it's supposed to be that has always been true but that nonetheless feels different to everybody who experiences it i guess i i agree with about half of what you said and disagree with about half of what you i the, the that is a a classic uh i think yeah, I bet you guys were just agreeing with each other the whole time I was out. I don't know what yeah, you guys no do without me no, to was... act as sandpaper. I, I I think that you just made what I would consider a classic Harry Mackin take, which is the the undercutting of uh, uh, a past understanding 
with kind of this current realization that the past was different or was false in some manner. And I have to say, I think every time you make that point, no matter what the movie is, I disagree with you and with, I disagree with you about it in some manner, which does not mean that you're wrong, but we just have different takes on this. I, I, I think that like, Oh man. I, so, uh, so first of all, you are correct. And I was maybe a little bit harsh in my, uh, I don't know, condemning of the the characters that are in the middle of this kind of age spectrum. I do not think that they are um, like doomed in a way. And I think that even, uh, you know, I, I kind of spoke about Yang Yang as like this, maybe this agent of change, or at least this kind of representation of maybe a new way of kind of seeing the world. I think that also part of that role is also impacting the other members of his family and kind of acting, acting in a way that, that, that provides insight in maybe a similar way that the grandmother did. Yeah, they're um, both but, catalysts, right? That's exactly yes. how I would describe both of them. And yes, and I think that they are like, they are maybe defined, maybe even somewhat uniquely by not being in this transition, right? These other characters are in this transition. They are maybe a little more cemented uh, in like where they come from and the world that they live in and how they're, kind of sole knowledge of that kind of helps shape who they are and their perspective on things. Um, I do think that like the, the grandmother character, you know, I, I think that like, I, I view her role as like maybe a little more firm. And I, I don't necessarily view it as like that her role or that like her, her perspective as like, I believe it's said in the film as like a matriarch, right? This older member of the family that provides knowledge and insight and maybe is a little bit stubborn in her ways and about a certain, you know, uh, kinds of things, but does help provide this perspective for these characters that then when she is in a coma and she cannot speak kind of creates a lot of the tension for these characters who kind of have no one to turn to. Um, I do view that as kind of like a concrete thing, though. And I don't know if you disagree with this, but I do view like a lot of the tension for these characters comes from that voice being silenced and like nothing to fill that void. And so I don't think it's necessarily that like these roles never meant something. These roles may have been flawed, certainly, you know, gender roles and kind of the 20th century had a lot of that baggage. But I do think that there is like, there's all this baggage, but there's like X, Y, Z that we can take from it. And now that that voice is silenced and she's in this coma, we kind of don't know what to do, right? Until something else comes yeah, along, yeah. I guess is how yeah. I view that. And maybe we're not even disagreeing there. Uh, not totally. No, in, in some ways. I mean, I don't, I guess I just fundamentally don't view this as as uh, nostalgic for previous roles and definitions. Is that nostalgic though? Or is it it's, just like kind of a, a realistic acceptance? I, that think, like, no, I think that that like the yearning that you're talking about, it would be, I think under your reading, the, the yearning that exists in the rest of this movie could easily be prescribed to a yearning for more traditional roles and sort of like, uh, like not, not I, roles. I'm I, not saying in yeah. the, in the like prescriptive sense, but in the sort of existential sense, like family unit roles, like destiny roles, that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I view it as like, it's it's not nostalgic like what you know I, I the the biggest kind of example of this and this is a very like us lens for this is like women entering the workforce in kind of the mid 20th century right i think that like that as far as like personal freedoms goes is like great but but i think that like there is something to acknowledging that like when society changes in that manner there are downsides and it's not that women should not go into the workforce it's that we should address these downsides like very concretely and that changing society 
in those material ways is like so hard. And those, those systems are like so stubborn and hard to change that when there is this positive thing that happens, uh, this society, which is kind of still mired in that understanding of uh, how a family is raised, how people work, what a work day is, what a work week is like those structures are like so rigid that like, something explosive needs to happen to shake them up a little bit. Right. I, yeah. I guess I don't view that as nostalgic per se. Sure. Um, uh, that's a, that's a good point. And that's like very in keeping with all of Edward Yang's work, right? Like you can see yeah. elements of that throughout a brighter summer day and Taipei story. Um, I guess like where I differ is that I think that, um, and, and maybe this is not even necessarily textual, but I find it very interesting that it seems like the coma is a big part of the reason why, uh, the grandma comes to have the role that she has in this story. Um, and I, I sort of like viewed that as catalytic in the sense that understanding like in mourning this person is also about understanding sort of mortality in terms of like, oh, like all of the possibilities of my life are going to constrict at a certain point, the way that they are now constricting for our grandma, right? It's like she is, was, she had the potential to be many things. Now she will only ever be this. She will only ever be this to us. And like that is something that gets all of these characters to re-examine themselves and that to me was was more of the reason why they keep looking to her for help and answers and sort of surety than the idea that she represented something before the coma and so to me it was more like about this sort of like yearning for definition not given by um roles or like previous definitions but sort of by the perspective that comes with that like constriction if that makes sense i know i'm not portraying that super well but i think to me that's just a more maybe a more interesting reading because um and and again like maybe this is just cynical but like i just don't see um that these characters would have been or and maybe maybe this is the point right maybe the the thing i'm disagreeing with is that um and the thing that that is not actually a disagreement is that we know these characters wouldn't actually be more happy in those traditional roles uh, and the movie knows that, but the fact that they don't have them sort of like, um, like per se means that they miss them in some way, right? Yeah. Where it's like, what if they could be here? Like, what if we could have something like that? Yeah, I feel like there's a certain distinction to be made, and maybe the movie doesn't make it on on purpose. But between like, is there nostalgia? Is there like a a yearning for this? you know, outgoing generational traditional values type thing that the grandma represents, or is it just objectively that we relied on it so much in our present day that when it's gone, it's, it's the rug has been pulled out from underneath of us. Like how, how, what did it mean to the characters? I don't, I can't really say, but how do they respond to it? I think is where they really focus in the movie. Um, I, I like the ways that it like brings that to the forefront in scenes like the one with Ting Ting and her grandma, where she's talking about like having uh, regretted not taking out the trash and stuff. Like she can't sleep if she doesn't wake up kind of thing. Like I like she is dependent. She's uh, sort of exhibiting a certain reliance upon the grandma that is triggered only by the grandma's like lack of availability for lack of a better term. Like she's not around anymore. And so she misses very much the sorts of things that she learned and talked to about her with her. Um, I don't know that that means to me that that connotes like a direct, uh, we, we need to hold on to this thing in sort of a sentimental way from the author's perspective. I don't know that that's 
that's what I get from that. But I definitely see like the way that it could be. I mean, not to play centrist, but the way that it could be interpreted that way, the way that you could pull either message from that pick set side, of, deafness. Uh, um, no offense sitting here on this I podcast, I the side sir. of Mark Morrison. Um, I think Aaron had his hand up right. before Harry did. Uh, well, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll just say that I, I think like a, a subtle, I think, point that I think might be important, at least from my understanding that is kind of evolving as I'm talking about it, is like, I don't think that the world is changing and then the, the grandma goes into a coma and then is unable to provide any sort of guidance or kind of, you know, structure that used to exist for the characters. I don't think it's like that. I think it's more that the the grandma going into a coma is representative of the world changing. Like they are one and the same, right? Um, I, you know, I think it's, I don't know if we're necessarily supposed to buy that like this wedding going horribly wrong not horribly wrong, but this get wedding going subtly hilariously wrong, wrong due to hilariously wrong due to specifically due to certain cultural norms no longer being upheld. Right, the bride is pregnant. Uh, the picture is is upside down. It's a pretty uh, obvious uh, one there. Uh, what's the other thing that happens? Uh, the 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 ex girlfriend shows up and kind of starts making trouble. Right, all of these things that like would be viewed as like and are viewed bad in terms of the wedding, but are certainly viewed as like certainly non-traditional. That woman never should have been invited, right? Um, the the bride shouldn't be pregnant. Um, I think that like we are kind of supposed to view that like the stroke, if it's not like literally caused by that, is like kind of metaphorically following from it, right? And so I guess I don't I don't view it as like the grandmother uh, you know, having a stroke like makes the characters unable to deal with the circumstances. It is they are they are like intrinsically tied together in right a Meta- i mean it's a metaphor right it 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 is operating out, outside of like the like the the nitty gritty of the plot and the specifics it is mm-hmm. operating on this like kind of larger allegorical level yes yeah. yeah what i love so much about the grandma in the grandma's coma is like you had said it it's about like I think that this movie does a really great job of demonstrating the ways in which everyone's personalities, everybody's existential senses of selves are upheld by their relationship to other people, right? And so, like, when the grandma goes into a coma, they lose this existential pillar of self, and it's sort of like they are left in this liminal space where it's like, well, who am I now that I don't have this definition um, I think that's where I go more than sort of like this idea that they were already floundering, which is definitely true as we see. Um, I think that where we differ is that I just think that like that, I, I think that like the one of the, some of the poignance of the movie to me is this idea that like they are reaching backward for this thing that was never really there uh, no matter what. Um, but I, I think that we can equivocate about whether or not it was, it was there, right? I think that like, I, I it would have been, I think it it's suffice to say, even if it was there, it was different from what they thought it was. And that sort of accounts for um, the nature of like this disagreement, I think, between the two of us, right? Is that like, whether or yeah. not they, they could have been something else in more traditional times, they never would have been who they want to be. They always would have found some difference, some sort of like ghost version of themselves that they would have rather have been. Um, it's just that that 
takes a form no matter what the circumstances are, right? It could be the coma of your grandma. It could be the changing times. It could be the fact that you never got to be with this person um, or that you never got to have this job. There is always this ontological sense that like there is something missing. Um, and I really like that it like it's almost formless and waiting to be filled by the circumstances of your life, but it's always going to be filled by something. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I really wish I had. I, I've seen about half of Yang's stuff. I do wish I had seen the sec, the the second half that I haven't seen because I do, I do wonder how much of this is like. I don't see a lot of like spirituality in Yang's films. Maybe that's just the stuff that I haven't seen. But it seems like such a obvious on the nose spiritual metaphor for kind of a, a you know second half of the 20th century leading into the 21st century uh kind of i don't know it seems like a semi kind of like postmodern uh a view of like spirituality in this kind of more connected yet more kind of independent world um and i don't i i just have not seen it seems like such a obvious metaphor for you know god and whatnot this grandma falling into a coma and not being able to respond yeah well at like, one point i haven't seen anything else like that in this film so i, I don't at one point, NJ literally says, like, talking to you is like praying, right? Like, of there course, is yes. there is this sense that, like, all of their gods represented by traditionalism, represented by the traditional family, represented by the matriarch, whatever, are now failing them or now have become silent uh, and distant. I Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like uh, maybe maybe the, the crime here is me kind of viewing this film as a culmination when it was not known as a culmination when it came out. Right. Like, I guess I don't need to see spirituality in the rest of his films in order for him to kind of put a, a an element of that uh, in this. And that like, it is his like final film and arguably kind of his masterpiece, but like he, I don't think did he didn't know that right at the time. I don't believe I looked, um, I don't think so. He died in 2007, 2007. Yeah. Damn. Seven years, man. I guess right. we'll never know. We'll never know. Uh, well, I'll know when I watch the rest of his films and I go yes or no, but until then, no. I'll know when I meet him in heaven. I'll ask him. Um, I, in like, again, the reading that I built in my own head um, led me to some of my favorite, like little tiny recognitions of like how theme was becoming, or excuse me, how uh, theme was exhibited in form, like how these scenes developed. It's sort of, I don't know about changing, but augmenting as we talk about like the competing ideas of where this movie's coming from, sort of it's where its heart's at and how like different plot elements like the grandmother's passing and her, uh, you know, coma and how people react to that, how that changes our entire like perception of what the movie might be saying about generational friction or like the passing of knowledge or, you know, the end of traditionalism, that kind of thing. Um, but like in what, like, I just liked how, how often it, touches on those things like i feel like i haven't seen uh edward yang do like he's got one idea usually that he exhibits in so many ways like his whole blocking and staging his framing of shots like the one that we talked about from brighter summer day where uh there's a camera angle that just pans to over to a, a painted door that then reflects the characters and that's you know mind-blowing and wild and really thematically consistent I didn't, I don't know if I've seen so many times in this movie that like, and maybe it's just because I put myself in that brain of like, oh, one on top of another, two becoming one, one becoming two, the lack of coexistence kind of thing. But I really liked how some of these scenes 
like sometimes throw away or like not of incredible plot importance still like exhibited that um i'm thinking of like again just with my little read on the cap of my read i'm thinking of like the fact that it starts with uh the child inside of a mother the fact that there's like the the condom inside or excuse me, the balloon inside of a condom that's like you know he's got under his shirt and pretending to be pregnant um even like little tiny scenes like uh i forget i think it must be lily maybe tuning up her cello and like one note becoming two becoming one note becoming two like very slowly as she's tuning up and down um there you know even like the multiple scenes of two people in a hotel room where one decides they can't stay is like that's to me, like the, the way that theme became, was exhibited or like expressed in form was like way more, I don't want to say obvious because it's got a negative connotation, but way more immediate than I recognized in the other Edward Yang movies. Did anybody else, regardless of what you actually read in the movie, did you like, were there any other scenes that were just like, oh man, this is really clicking with my read right now because there's some symbology or some like uh, thematic content here that's really singing with what I'm seeing on screen? Very Oh, Aaron, you had your hand up first, please. Oh, two thanks. gentlemen. Return uh, I'll, to the I'll max. say that like nothing like too specific unless it comes to me while I'm talking. But I will say that this is a film that like for me. It's like very weird how it kind of starts working on even even as I was saying earlier, like kind of being uh, a little like less, I think, enthusiastic about it than a lot of people. C- certainly Harry. Um, but like, I, I think I'm being sold on the film kind of, uh, not in a fake way, in a good way. Um, but I think this is a film that like, you do kind of recognize, um, Yang has this weird thing that like, he is like very naturalistic in this way. And it's not very ostentatious despite him doing like a lot of very impressive things with like shot composition and whatnot. But like, you do reach this moment, like halfway through the film where like, you kind of realize that this film really does know what it's doing. Right. And like Yang does know what he's doing as well. And these actors and like, there's something about just like often like a lot of very obvious themes, but like delivered very quietly that like kind of creeps up on you until you get to the point where you're like, Oh yeah, someone is in control here. Right. This is not just a bunch of random scenes from this family's life. There is like a thread and I really like that feeling um, because there are like just enough small moments, like you mentioned, like uh, the cello being tuned, like, uh, uh, you know, this kid kind of wandering through school and, and having these small interactions that like it does build up to something greater in this guy. Like, I Ooh, think very impressive way. Yeah. I really like yeah. the way you put that because I think about this movie as like a very gradual accumulation as well. Right. Like it's, it's this accumulation of experiences, each of which you slowly come to realize bears commonalities because you were at the yep. center of each of them. Right. Like, I think that's what the, the whole um, magic trick thing is that Cody, you wrote about in your review. I think that's Yang Yang at the end of the movie is sort of like, you the movie sort of reflects uh, the 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 construction of the movie reflects the themes right where it's like it it comes together scene over scene uh moment over moment until you sort of like collect this better understanding of it the way these characters collect a better understanding of themselves um for better and worse right uh that sort of dovetails well with what i take away from this which um it's sort of ironic for two reasons one this movie is a devastating movie in a lot of ways i also think it's ultimately optimistic in a weird way uh in a way that i don't think yang's other movies are at all um and that's ironic because i don't 
typically like optimistic movies that much. But I think that um, there is a real sense here in which Yang Yang represents a new hope, right? Or a a way of navigating this postmodern world uh, with the absence of traditional roles, when the with the absence of sort of gods as they're represented. Which, by the way, Aaron. Our disagreement is just the classic, like, I think you and I just understand modernism and postmodernism differently, which is that, like, if the center cannot hold in my reading of postmodern literature, it means the center was never there. Whereas for you, it's like, no, it means that something has changed and now the center cannot hold. There was a center, yes. (laughs) And now it cannot hold, yeah. Um, Which is actually not as big a difference as we're making it out to be. But, um, or maybe it is, I don't know. But anyway, like, what I love about Yang Yang is that his new perspective is facilitated by not only um, his experiences seeing these people as they are now, but also like it's, it's like technology and art and what he's learned from other people. Um, I think a lot about the, the ironic uh, quote from the guy who ends up being this, uh, this movie's, um, necessary yang stabber the murderer it were three for three by the way uh somebody stabbing somebody else to death in an edward yang movie um very particular and weird trope but that guy says that his uncle told him that um since we have movies we live three times right we get twice what we got in movies that ends up being a sinister quote coming from him because it's sort of like exaggerates his own sort of sense of like this role that he needs to play that ultimately makes him a murderer. But for Yang Yang, it's sort of like, I think that this movie ultimately has this very optimistic uh, message that by sort of like being exposed to these, um, these universal themes, right. Being able to understand them better through media, through art, through each other, we can sort of develop empathy that allows us to understand not each other better necessarily, but ourselves better, right? It's like understanding the universality of these stories that everybody experiences the way Yang Yang does, right? Like he sees how what everybody can't see, which is that we're all going through something similar. Like we all have the the ghost self, the self that we're never going to be. It is defining and uh, dictating a lot of our behavior. By understanding that better, we can like reach that that can become not a replacement for sort of like gods or traditional roles but it can become something else that that can lead us to new self-knowledge right and i i think that like that hope at the end of this movie is um is really moving i guess in in terms of yang tropes as you mentioned earlier a guy getting stabbed or or being the stabber is of course a, a big one uh like best friend or cousin uh, or family member who is slightly chubbier than you, who is very bad with money. That is like no number. Just like who just like comes by just like, yo, can I get a $50? <laughs> like that guy, a big Yang guy, big Yang guy. I'm looking at my cousin Blaine. Yeah, that's, that's Blaine. Well, it's just everybody actually has one of those. Right. And if you don't guess what? No, Nick Grossman has <laughs> asked me for money. He hasn't, he hasn't, <laughs> but you could see it. You can see it. Oh, you can see it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't know. How do you guys feel about this movie's ultimate like place? Like, what do you think it's saying at the end about Yang Yang? And and do you think it's it's optimistic even in the face of this sort of like pessimism that we all have like these 
these roles that we end up playing out over and over again, making the same old mistakes, and that there might not be a way out of that within our lifetimes. There might only be a way to understand that for other people. Or I guess, where do you fall? I suppose I'm not seeing it as, you know, the as one end of the spectrum or the other classic, again, not to be centrist, but like the idea that Yang Yang is in his assertion that like, he always wanted to be able to say that he was old too, that he like really wanted to talk to his grandmother more, that he was looking forward to like growing old with her in a really ironic way. I feel like that is less saying, uh, you know, more a a simple discarding or a full integration of, you know, previous ways, old ways, tradition, modernism, et cetera, is, yeah, and more saying like there is like the only path forward is to find a synthesis of that of of like the old and the new. The present is is like the the the, the culmination of those things, um, and everyone is is new. Like as Oda said, every day is a fresh start. Every you know time you wake up is a new thing to do. There's always something new, um, and I think that maybe I'm just maybe I'm now saying like here's the cookie cutter shape of the read of the movie in my brain, and I'm saying like Psh, that's my stamping of it. But um, I think that like. I think that's pretty consistent is the idea that these like two separate things cannot exist, uh, super two separate ideas of the self, two separate, like generational ideas of, uh, you know, uh, like what, what you, what roles you should occupy in society and how things should go, you know, even just at a wedding or at a, at a baby shower or when you're on a work trip or whatever, that n- none of those things can particularly hold. And yet, if we think too far ahead, if we're thinking, uh, you know, we will, that, you know, NJ will be with Sherry, if we're thinking that, um, you know, Yang Yang will be able to become like more like the girl who bullies him, the, that he, he wants to learn how to swim to become more like and to understand. Like, if we think too far ahead of ourselves, both as like individuals and as society, that that can only read to like, you know, that can only end up as like a potential tragedy, I guess. The moment, the only moment that I was like, fearful for in this movie was when yang yang falls in the pool and trying to swim yeah hey we need to fucking Compl- talk about that shit I, I, this movie I, is a one-star <laughs> movie for me wait make me wait five minutes to see that that fucker was still alive I, all I, right i, I, I know real. we've had a good conversation about it but i'm fucking sick of this all right I'm, I'm, I, I gotta that. be real I, okay. I literally like i was i had a la Cienega moment where i'm like oh shit i thought he died that me that, that's so that is so much meaningful, you know, and then fucking he just waddles in, slapping his feet against the wooden floor, all drenched. And it's like, well, shit, I'm boycotting. God damn it. Ed. This man's films. He will not see another scent from me, sir. <laughs> I don't know that. There's don't much you do more. yang yang like that? You son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done if he was dead. Honestly, um, not two deaths in this movie. Fr- Three. Like the other thing is like that is the right choice to make him live because otherwise that's just manipulative just mean, bullshit yeah. you know what i mean yeah right. I, yeah in my, in my critical anyway, view it's just it. fucking mean to do that i don't know how there's much a scene it. in the middle i can't oh, well, remember what it is it's like the mother comes back and they have a conversation or whatever and then he came comes in it's like god fucking. yeah well also like it i think that if yang yang had died then it definitely 100 percent would have been like conservative propaganda yes. in the way that i thought <laughs> that maybe you were getting at aaron where it would have been like oh yeah these characters who like who were unable to fulfill their traditional roles, therefore neglected their son and he this, died. This, <laughs> you know, that would yeah, be the this, whole point yeah. of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm so glad it didn't land there. Uh, oh yeah, I, absolutely. I don't know how much more exculpatory I can really pull out of my own read uh, of, of the ending, but yeah. 
This I mean, this I, emotionally cheating husband who can't secure good business deals. Right, exactly. Just won't tie the family together. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, if he, he just, won't like, make failed. a sale, the paterfamilias yeah. couldn't do it. He couldn't make it. Um, <laughs> I think that like I like that reading a lot, Jason. Mine's just a little bit different in the sense that like I and I guess I keep going back to this idea of like whether or not there ever actually was a center, right? Ever, whether or not there was ever actually anything for these characters to hold on to. Um, and I, I guess like. Where I land is ultimately, I think that this movie contends that, at least in, again in my mind, that like it may not have ever been what we thought it was, but it it was something, right? That th- that there was something real. Like even if you are sort of doomed to always misunderstand your life and wonder if you're misunderstanding your life, the life that you're making in the meantime is meaningful, right? I think that's where NJ lands. And I think that's where Yang Yang ends at the end of this movie. And I think that that's what Ting Ting's relationship with her grandma ultimately is, um, is this idea that like, okay, like we were wrong about what we thought the answers were and what we thought our lives were and who we were. But the ways in which we were like, while we were living that out, we were becoming something that is real. Right. And like, maybe there is hope that we can learn what that is. Can you play uh, "We Are Young" by Fun nice. over the back yeah. of that final speech no, that Harry just made? I'm not, I'm not fucking doing that. No, well, fuck you. Then. Um, before we head to the junk drawer with any final thoughts for the group, uh, any other ideas we want to? Yeah, I know he's he's my uh, We Are Young on video. Right I'm, now. Maybe this is just junk drawer, but um, I would like to say that, like, on a purely experiential level, this has some of my favorite scenes in cinema history. Maybe I think that like um, NJ and his ex walking in the Japanese like temple unbeatable um oda hanging out with nj like that their whole bro down all, romance all of their, all that of they have scenes at the piano bar just we haven't far, talked about oda very much i know Fucking we, we were already at an hour the 15, man himself yeah. yeah no he's the best he is a, a bit of a mary sue <laughs> like jason said because he's like he is like this absolute like wunderkind at everything who is also like constantly like spouting off like absolutely beautiful philosophical ideas um but it's so funny that like it he's really great in in nj's character arc right because like nj said like he uh he left the love of his life because he didn't like what he she was turning him into then he went on to become exactly that anyway and then he runs back into the love of his life but wouldn't you know it now he's met oda the new love of his life (laughs) that is going to tell him like that's going to remind him like i think that he wanted to be oda right like like when he ran away from uh his first love it was because he was like no i want to do something with my life that i care about uh not just be an engineer or whatever um which you gotta love anti-stem uh (laughs) propaganda in the (laughs) into movies um but he he went on to be that anyway but i think that that's what oda represented so yeah the the oda scene is absolutely untouchable um the whole japan sequence especially uh when ting ting is going on a date with fatty and they keep cross-cutting between taipei and uh tokyo to to show um nj and his uh ex walking through japan well it's like I'm like fucking Yang like you are like a madman for this one um so yeah just like a lot of the a lot of just unbelievable stuff in this movie this this movie is like one of the great works of art along with uh the book the tetris effect which I think they're making into a a movie or tv show or something uh one of the great works that that portrays 
just how awful it would be to have to do business by flying to another country, by physically getting onto a plane and meeting with someone in a restaurant in order to try and like get uh, a contract signed. Is, is paying for me to make more money. Uh, this is but what Aaron's look, saying. You're, you're just, you're just like a sales guy, you know, and you're like, Oh, we need to sell some software. And it's like, I need to hang out with this man named Brett for four days straight. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going to restaurants with but him. Brett is and, a, is and a like, guru. You know, one in every 10,000 is going to be Oda. It's not going to be Oda. Then, you, be Oda. then yeah. you get a fucking Oda. Right. right. But most of the time, <laughs> most of the guy, most of the time it's Brett or Chet. And he, you know, he has a pole. He has a, an athware, athletaware well, polo and, and, on. And most importantly, he's a salesman, he's which as, as Aaron knows, all salesmen are absolute degenerates. They're, the worst I, people look, alive. I used to work in sales. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. That is that is correct, including me. I don't know. He makes it work though. Like he's he's got those scenes in his hotel room, all blue lit, with the uh, he's chuffing on a cherry, and then he goes to the fucking Tide, and he's 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 smoking a cigarette. And you you could you could fly. uh, I'm sorry to belabor this point. You could fly somewhere (laughs) for like eight hours. You could spend a week of your life away from your your fam your kids and your wife and shit. And uh, they could just be like, "Yeah, we're not, we're not going with you." Also, we're you got to think about like how awful. how awful, awful Oda's got to feel. Where like it happens twice in this movie, where like he meets up with NJ. They have like a soulmate level connection where they really bear their souls to each other. Like both times, Oda's like, "You're a good man," and like I believe in you yeah. and I trust you. And you got to think he like walks away from that business being. Beating going like I, guys i think i nailed it and then immediately <laughs> yeah. his like nj's business partners are like nah <laughs> sorry so thanks he, but no thanks he, here is the pro this is bad bad business technique from oda oda is negotiating with someone who is not the decision maker if he was smart he would he would be meeting with the decision maker in order to get by you can get buy-in from the the, the gatekeepers from anybody down the line they're not the decision maker. Fucking game over, bro. Think about well, Oda. No, he's not a businessman. He's a he's a he's, he's a, a business. Business. He's, he has a, a businessman. Thank you. Oh, no, yes. I, I I think NJ's issue there, and this is real junk row shit, was not that he didn't <laughs> get the right person. It's that he was not selling his company on Oda. Like that they had sent him out as like sort of on a little I, bit. Oda of a wild was not a chase. banging hot chick sitting at a pool. Well, buddy. that's what I'm saying. Is like he he he, 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 didn't, he didn't like he fumbled the bag, so to speak, as to pull from uh, our previous episode on like telling his company hey oda really is the right guy like he gave a soft pitch for like we should try it because it's revolutionary because like uh stagnation breeds like <laughs> descent and death like, yeah like but he didn't go back to his company and he was like actually this oda guy kind of fucking rocks he's gonna be really well, cool you should have done with, you know you should have given oda a dinner with the the ceo or whatever because oda is like a harvey the rabbit-esque figure and then i assume he just changes the life He's a forest guy. Yeah. He just changes the life of every person. Every person who <laughs> right. comes in contact with him is like, he's like, leave, you know, they'll leave the meeting he and just, just like he walk does, in the car and they're just crying. He, he just does that magic trick, that same card magic trick for everybody. For and person. every single person is like, that was like the greatest night of my life. Oh he my told God. me it was okay. I quit the swimming team. <laughs> he looks he up, said it was all right looks, to chase my he dreams. He looks up what Billy Joel song you've heard most on Spotify and play, <laughs> learns how to play that. Plays at the it, yeah. and then it's he not plays, too late to be And then he plays Moonlight Sonata. He gets you with the one, two. It's always Moonlight Sonata is the second song, but the first one is like whatever works best for you. Oda, please come. Uh, the other thing is that Yang does the uh, the opposite of like the 
Tarantino Wong Kar Wai thing where like they get very good songs that like people have like heard of, but are like maybe a little under the radar, but like really fucking hit. And it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about Jungle Boogie. Yang does the thing where it's like, I am giving you the two most recognizable songs in the entire history of the world, but we're going to give you like 30% so of the great American songbook. Basically <laughs> it's right. Yeah. Uh, you will like summertime when it comes on that uh, you that's, we're just going to roll with that. Yeah, it's good. Uh, speaking of junk drawer ideas um, again, I think this is my favorite movie. I think I articulated why at the end they're pretty okay, but I, I will say that like, uh, big filmmaker brain for both how companies work and uh even more deliciously for video games man do i love me some cinema depictions of video games where like yeah they're like yang just clearly thinks that like it's like spike lee in fucking inside man where it's just like oh yeah video games are the devil oh yeah that's always so funny to me uh and and also like i i can't get over how like like nj and the rest of his like company men, they're just flailing. It's like they were not a like computer game company before. <laughs> they they were just like, well, we got to figure out some way to save this company. Bro, Let's but just- that's the that's the fucking thing. Like <laughs> and, seriously, yeah. Tetris Effect is all about like these companies were just like, yes, this is software. Yeah, we do. Software. I guess that's true. We no, that's a really good point. Deals. <laughs> yeah, we, fucking Sony. Like, I mean, Sony wasn't a game company until they were. <laughs> bro, it, it like the. The book the Tetris Effect is literally just about people just being like, "Yeah, we just we, uh, there was a company that did how uh, hard could it be calculators? Yeah, no, I, we yeah, so we're just gonna fly out there and uh, we don't have the rights to it yet. So I hope I get a fax telling me we have the rights to the thing we're selling to the company because otherwise we're we're in a pickle here, folks. Uh, anyway, um, I I will say that like. Um, Again, I think you brought this up in your letterboxd review, uh, Aaron. It's it's I genuinely love this moment, even though for a movie that is as like prestigious as this, it's so it's funny. Where like yeah. they they're sh- like televising the um, account of the murder that uh, Fatty can like did against. Um, like the teacher of his former girlfriend uh and yep. they cut to just a like video game of a, a fatty type character beating down another character just, like it's gta yeah, or something two, two thugs just kicking that each video other game doesn't exist. Street. i don't no, know that's not a thing <laughs> it, it, it kind of looked like like if you made fucking looked like a fighting of, game streets like, of I think rage, they had streets of rage. In, in, the, yes. yeah, in the virtual fighter engine or something it looked pretty yeah i i figured i knew one of these times cody was gonna go cody these are, yeah, these are video games these are video games tetris yeah, is yeah, a video yeah, game thank you um I'm actually surprised we, we got this far without talking about video games because it's seeded pretty early. Like in the first hour of the movie, they're talking about like, like that pitch scene where uh, the rest Which, of the Which hilariously, are... by the way, I will say, Jason, I laugh my ass off at this where you did very accurately say that Oda is basically describing a strand game. <laughs> he's like Hideo Kojima and he's in there like, well, he's like, the like, problem with had... video games is that it turns us against one another. That it's just all about shooting and why, like when we need to find a connection through this thing. And I'm like, eh, this, this is just Hideo Kojima behind the fucking mask. That's so funny. <laughs> I will say that like, that is actually very like, speaking of culmination, it's very resonant with uh, Yang's sort of like thesis on interpersonal violence coming from like a deep dissatisfaction and misunderstanding of the self, right? Like all three of the the like big stabbers in Yang movies stab more because of themselves than of other people. That's one of the other things I actually really love about this movie is that um, I think it's sort of a subversion of the empathy machine um, argument because like, um, which I've been thinking a lot about because of uh, Celia, former... Um, 
Trilove art, not Trilove guest, but Trilon um, volunteer uh, wrote a really great piece about Memoria and about how that is sort of like uh, taking on the idea that movies are empathy machines. I think that this movie is making the point that it gives us more empathy for ourselves, right? Like movies have this capacity to help us understand ourselves better, but not necessarily to understand other people better. Um, and I really like the idea that like throughout all of these movies, these like murderers do what they do because they have arrived at this like irreconcilable idea of themselves that they need to sort of transform through violence. Um, I just think it's very, very funny that video games end up being like catching a a wild stray in the process <laughs> in this movie. You you say that that movies are kind of can operate as, as ways to kind of teach and show empathy. Uh, I have mainly been using movies as a like a a Walmart training video kind of level instruction on how to stab <laughs> people. So <Right. laughs> I, I've been I've been l- learning quite a bit. And Crucial I mean, hey, to my co-hosts, if you disagree with me too much, I don't, who knows what will happen. Yeah. Listen, also like my, gang, training views. gang movies you would be great for that because <laughs> yes. uh, all of the stabbers in Yang movies are incredibly effective at their craft. Um, yeah. Scientifically, it's pretty hard to stab somebody to death. Not in a Yang movie. In a Yang movie, you plunge that dagger is into it hard, somebody's... Is it hard to stab somebody to death? It's something like 90% of stabbing victims actually survive because like... Oh. Well, of the heat well, of the because moment they don't or, love each other. Sure. That, that doesn't necessarily mean it's hard. What if you're like, stranded I'm on sure if, like a freeway If in you were Taipei, in, the, yeah, in you know. the moment and you were like, okay, I'm really going to commit to stabbing this person to death, my guess is you would succeed. I mean, <laughs> it just yeah. so happens that most stabbings are, are not hmm. necessarily that premeditated. Especially me, well, Lung, who yeah. has been learning Lung, and training. In, in Taipei, sorry, Lung had recently been gambling, so he's already a little bit depressed. He failed miserably. Already a little bit depressed, maybe a little bit sauce. His blood is a little bit thinner. Um, he's a little bit out of shape. I feel like I feel like it'd be easier to kill Lung than a lot of people. He was yeah. a former athlete, former, and he won the fight. Jason, he he beat down the guy and just like afterward noticed that he had been stabbed. Ah, uh, well, if he hadn't noticed, that was his problem. He should yeah, have that was his problem. Yeah, Schrodinger's stab wound. <laughs> Okay, that's maybe the most packed drunk drug we've ever done. That was like 14 minutes. It's a, a three-hour movie, it is, you know? It is. Uh, anything else in the junk drawer before we move to our penultimate bit? Um, going once, going twice. Close. Ka-ching. I know I should put that sound effect from Blake in our episode here. I don't really... I don't remember how junk drawers sound. Um, but this then leads us into uh, one of my favorite new segments uh, for reasons unrelated to the fact that I came up with it. Uh, good grief. Give me a gift. Tell me, Cody, what you think should be the gift that goes out with the episode when we put it out on Twitter. Well, see, the thing is, this movie is exhausting uh, because it gives a lot of options. Uh, a lot of a lot of pretty good shots. A hot take. Edward Yang knows what he's doing, as does Jason when he decides to keep that soundbite on the soundboard uh two quick ones uh one hour one minute 10 seconds thereabouts it's um i believe this was after or on the cusp of how do i want to frame it min min and nj are having a car like min min is in hysterics because she finds she cannot um like she like her days are so boring the monotony is uh like legitimately painful for her it's like she feels like she can't talk to her mother who's in a coma and she kind of spirals and then nj comes back with um she's like uh well like we'll get the nurse to talk to her it'll be fine just like two completely different approaches to that situation and then like it uh their room kind of dissolves into the background of the cityscape via reflection of their window when they close the blinds um cody this was the first one that i was going to bring up Ding, ding, ding. 
Um, well, I'll probably wrong set or uh, let's fucking go go dot mp3 would probably be the option. We don't have to do that right now because I just did Pretty it. Loud, uh, the yeah. other, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other one, um, just because shouting out uh, Mr. Oda again, um, and he's probably the answer to your earlier question, Jason, about like scenes that did not necessarily carry a ton of narrative or thematic weight, but like really helped in sort of um uh, like glued together the building blocks and like the gradual culmination of everything that we were seeing um just like any oda scene uh the one at around 41 minutes 45 seconds where it's just him uh with a bird i believe that was him right where he's like at the after their business meeting him just yeah just having fun so. with his bird he's, pal. he's like whistling yeah. one of their tunes and it's attracting pigeons yep. yeah yeah like yeah, a disney know. princess Oh man, he's so Oda, good. Oda's the best canonical Disney princess there is. Um, but yeah, those are those are my shot shoutouts for give me a gif. Can I get a confirmation on the first on the timestamp of the first one? Uh, yeah, it was roughly one hour, one minute, ten seconds. So a lot of ones and zeros, kind of like a binary timestamp. Thank you. But uh, it should be somewhere around. I there. had yeah. one hour, one minute, twelve to twenty-four, or something somewhere thereabouts. So I had a very similar one. Uh, also, Cody, great shout out to that scene. It's like in the, in the darkest, bleakest way, extremely funny that like uh, NJ's wife is like, I do the same thing every day. I can't believe how unfulfilling my, my life is. I have nothing to say to my mother. I don't even know how to talk to her anymore. I like I, I can't stand this. And he's just like. Well, all right, I'll get the fucking nurse to talk to her then. It's like, bro, like that's not yeah. the not the uh the problem that you should be solving right now. Yeah, it yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That great scene, a lot of great scenes like that that could elongate this podcast further. Yeah, um, it's a weirdly further, funny but, movie but yeah, sometimes uh in an understated way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it's a frustrating but really brilliant scene. I liked it a lot. Um, I have four uh, more, so I'll go through them quick. Uh, the first one is uh, the same sweaty palms is what I'm calling the scene uh, from about an hour 50, 35 to about an hour 50, 46. Um, it's the cross cutting uh, between NJ and his ex and Ting Ting and Fatty um, in Taipei. Um, there are some really good, maybe you might not be able to find a really good single GIF. So uh no worries if not uh let's see i had closing the blinds um nj by the water in tokyo that's around uh two hours 11 minutes 45 when he's sitting out on the dock and eventually like a wave comes up and sort of like almost puts out his cigarette or whatever it's a really great shot um and then uh the water balloon at uh an hour 24 uh 15 just when yang yang drops that water balloon it absolutely destroys his teacher with it i uh, thought that was very funny um and then uh finally there's this incredible shot of uh nj and his ex at a japanese restaurant where they're like it's like shot from an extreme distance yeah so that you can see the um the front of the restaurant and they're just like in a window and going to sit down i really like that shot so those are mine that is pretty slick uh, Aaron, I know you're less used to the bit by now, but um, any, I'm less any used to, to the, the the bit had started and I had left, but now yeah, I, come I know. But it's been like stamps, literally there's all five sorts episodes. of requirements. <laughs> uh, I will say that it's uh, I have one, and it, it has to be the flipping through of the the photos. Yes. with the back of the head. It's got to be that. It's got to be. It's gotta oh, I, don't, be. I don't know about that, yeah. but it, but it, but it is one of mine. No, it's a good one. Just because. Aaron didn't yeah. How about that. the one where uh where he the um the brother the the uh who's always Adi who's always borrowing Adi. money is just sitting yeah. next to his ex watching porn <laughs> while she tries to sleep. Does, <laughs> Can does we do a video with sound? Does he do a video with sound? Does he? Cl- I don't know. Does he close that scene by jacking off is is that what's implied because he's making like some 
Like it's too I, dark no, to I don't really think tell. So. I think it's I think, even sadder. It, yeah, I think he's which, just like, watching porn. Standing I, there, I think that watching there. porn without jacking off is even grosser somehow. What are the most sadistic it's, yeah, things? It's like that's some real pervert shit. Absurd. It's like, what are you you're watching yes. it for like its entertainment value? <laughs> this is the no, I like the cinematography. Yeah, this is the maybe the second episode in the last like six months where we're having an internecine conflict about um whether or not a character is jacking off on screen. Cause I think I'm pretty certain he was jacking off toward the end of that scene. The other one being in mad God, but um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Cody, you're the stats guy. You can pull these numbers know. for us later. Um, uh, the stats read, it is three to one in favor of not, not jacking, jacking it. it. So okay. sorry. Well, there, I think boy. I know uh, a Taiwanese man jacking off in bed when I see one. Okay. Um, we have, let's fucking go. I, I gotta say like the photos of the backs of heads one, that is just, that's a layup. Frankly, I, that that's one of like several that I got. I gotta say the one that I keep thinking back to is right after Yang Ying decides that he doesn't want to eat. I think it's at the wedding reception or maybe at the funeral. Uh, and then just, like, <laughs> cuts just exact, immediate smash to McDonald's to, to NJ and Yang Yang sitting at McDonald's and NJ's like, sort of like, well, here we are again. And, and Yang Yang is just happily eating fries and shit like this movie's that reminds me of this movie's sense of humor, which I did not expect of it given the other movies we've seen from Yang. Uh, it is like, there's that moment. There's fucking, Oh, I, I even made like notes about moments that I thought were really funny. There's the moment after Adi's, uh, baby shower. No, or yeah, baby shower <laughs> where, where like, obviously young, young has come in and she's sort of ruined everything again. She's like made a whole big scene of everything. And, uh, and NJ just takes him out of the situation. He's like, let's just get you home. This is not good. Uh, let's just separate you from this environment. And, and, uh, and he's like, what, what happened, man? Like what happened? And Adi just like resignedly says, it was a setup. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bushwhack. <laughs> uh, fucking... I will say a really funny scene in that before that is that like that baby shower goes as bad as humanly possible. <laughs> like it becomes like a Renaissance painting of people just like a mass of people just like smashing up against each other. And like throughout that NJ arrives like halfway through the scene with a suitcase. And the whole time that this is unfolding, he's just standing there with the suitcase, just sort of like <laughs> shoulders slumped, just like looking at this. And eventually AD sort of like extricates himself from that situation and just goes over and stands by him. Yeah. And they both have the exact same position where they're just like <laughs> shoulders forward, just like mouth agape just like oh god what's <laughs> happening it's so funny it is so fucking funny uh shout out to the the guy um he's like the, i don't know what if his character even has a name but he's like the party starter who at the wedding convinces adi to drink so much that he barfs he's like you're gonna get a pot belly after this he makes him some kind of sickening cocktail and then at the end when the grandma is dead and she's being laid to rest he's like really over emotional about it like clinging what are we gonna do without you Graham? and i don't even know what who the fuck that character is he's just very good times guy i <laughs> Yeah, that would be my pick for gifts as well. Thank you so much for indulging that once more. But we have, before we finally close out this episode on not the longest Yang movie, but our longest episode about a Yang movie so far, uh, we have one more segment. And it's the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. Wow. Thank you, gentlemen. I, I you know, I've, uh, I've remembered that introduction fondly these past 30 years. Ooh, ah, um, I know, I know it's been a while since some of us, not going to name any names, uh, have taken part in the, the noties chaos. So I figured Harry we'd didn't take part in the noties when I was gone. It was really fucked up. Uh, we'll yeah, get into it. I had to play it by myself. I had to pretend. Yeah. yeah, it was not good. Uh, go back and listen to those episodes. Um, if you want, you don't have to, uh, but they're cool and fun and good. Uh, 
though we're biased. I figured we'd ease ourselves back in uh, into this mess with a, film, a familiar little something called Try Love Feud. Uh, today's theme will be the most popular movies on Letterboxd that were released in the 2000s, aka the aughts. Um, so some nice, like very non-competitive noties to get us back into the thick of things. Uh, the reason for this particular uh, theme w- uh, is well, the reason for this theme. Let me back it up. The reason for this theme, it's uh, sorry, I need a, a bit of a runway because it's so complicated. Uh, Yee Yee, the film was released uh, in the year 2000. Uh, and that's more than enough of a connecting thread that I need uh, to tie that back. Uh, but I will now mention that trivia mafia rules are in effect for the rest of the segment, which means you got to use your noodles and not your Googles or your letterboxes to find the answers that you seek. Um, so this is a bunch of try love, uh, try love feud specific, um, uh, lead up just so, you know, anybody who's new to the show, if you're joining us with, uh, for the first time with Yee, um, you're a weird, fascinating person, but um, you need a, a little bit of context for this. So for those listening at home, if you are unaware, uh, this will be an experience only somewhat uh, adapted from the famous game show known as Family Feud. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, what I've done is collected the top 25 films on Letterboxd, ranked by popularity and filtered by release year, specifically the odd thousands. What I will do is ask each of these fine fellas, one at a time, uh, for a guess of a movie included in the list. Every guess comes with, uh, we'll say about a 10 second window. To get a point, you'll need to correctly guess a movie that is on that list during your turn. Within that time frame, there will be three strikes per person. And if you get three strikes, then you're out for the remainder of the game. If you make an incorrect guess, so you guess a movie, it's not on the list, then you'll get a strike. Uh, if you have a correct movie, but stated an incomplete title of the movie, this is the um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World uh, uh, Amendment. You'll get a strike. Uh, if you fail to guess a movie before that time window is up, I will announce that time is up and you'll get a strike. So just always guess a movie, even if you're sure it's wrong. Uh, I am. It's better than guessing nothing. Uh, the order for this game will be Jason and then Harry and then Aaron uh, and then in a loop for as long as we need to. Uh, whenever it's the next person's turn, I will say that person is on the clock, at which point that person will be on the clock. Uh, the film we discussed today is not on this list, so if you guess it, we'll all know you weren't listening. The winner will be the person with the most correctly guessed movies. Are there any questions before we jump into this fearsome thing? Can I confirm that this is movies from the 2000s, not movie from the year 2000? Correct. Movies from all of the 2000s. Oh, man. Okay. Not just the year 2000. Yeah. Okay. 2000 correct. to 2009, correct? 2000 to 2009. Okay. Yep. Thank okay. you. Yep, yep. Yeah, I got. I was thinking about that as well because my brain con- was conflating the like twentieth versus twenty first century, and I was like, "Oh my god, Letterboxd fucked up!" But they specified mm-hmm. the, it's they specify in their filtering it's two thousands, which gotcha. The year two thousand is is part of that. So yes, then I think I'm yeah, good to go. Two thousand to two thousand nine. Excellent. Very very good. Um, so here we go. Uh, Jason is is our first one up in this little rotation. Uh, r- rotation. Jason, you are on the clock. I'm sorry. I'm going to go Shrek. We're going Shrek. Shrek is the guess. Shrek is not on this list. What? That's crazy. That was my number one guess. Wassie's dumb. Wow. Uh, KSA-sto. We're doomed. That's... that's I don't know about that. There are a lot of pretty familiar movies out this list. Uh, it is kind of wild in retrospect. Shrek is not on this list, but we press on. Uh, Harry is next up. Harry, you are on the clock. Spirited Away? Spirited Away is the guess. Spirited Away is number three on this list. So that is a point 
for Harry. Um, the uh, the, the letterboxed se- curve. The, <laughs> the, the, the second best animated film of that decade behind Shrek 2001. Fuck. I'm just I'm kidding. Um, I thought it'd be funny to say. Uh, and it was. So that is a point for Harry. We'll move along to Aaron. Aaron, you are on the clock. Can I get a Jason, please? Uh, I would like to go with The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring is the guess. Uh, immediately following a, a, a Jason, pip pip my musical cue, please. For the second time in the episode, this this guy, uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring is on the list, by the way. It's number eight. So that is a point for Aaron. Uh, we move we move back to the top. Uh, Jason's at a strike. Let's see if he can get on the board. Jason, you are on the clock. Um, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is the guess. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is number 18 on the list. Uh, it is. Uh, I would have also accepted Philosopher's Stone. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, just keep that in mind. But I wouldn't yeah, because but... fuck those Brits. All right? Fuck them. Sorcerer's Stone. That's we fair. Keep the, well, I don't give yeah. a shit about it either way, but we keep the original a phil- name a in this philosopher's household. philosopher's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, a sorcerer. I don't know. I'd like to think we're we're something of sorcerers when we turn those microphones on. Am I right, <laughs> fellas? I hate myself a lot. Uh, Harry, you're next up. Don't you are on the clock. Either. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I think I'll... This is a punt, but um, I'll go with Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I feel like that's everybody's favorite, so maybe it's more watched than the first one. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is the guest... Uh, the guest? The guest. Well, it is the guest uh, as well, because it's 15 on the list. So that is a point for Harry. So that one was number 15. Sorcerer's Stone was number 18, um, just for context's sake. Uh, so no strikes earned yet for Harry, uh, and none yet for Aaron either, as we get to him for his second guess. Aaron, you're on the clock. Uh, I would like to go with Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> Return of the King. Uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King is the guest. That is number 23 on the list. So that is uh, two Do you think points. Two Towers is more or less popular, motherfuckers? Let's go. We're Only one way to find out. So let's uh, gamble and, with it. Aaron and Ari are both uh, tied at the top with two points. Jason is on the board with one, with one strike uh, as well, waiting in the wings. Still very much anybody's game, one might reckon, and I am one. Uh, Jason, back to you. You are now on the clock. I'm going to go Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2 is the guess uh that is the actual best animated film of this decade just kidding i don't know what it is uh it's not on the list unfortunately spirit um, away it pal i got it in one <laughs> no toy, no sorry toy story 2 yeah, just that's kidding, the actual the answer <laughs> yeah yeah sorry uh, fooled you um but hey speaking of harry we're back to him harry it's your guess toy Go story 2 wasn't on the list correct oh jesus uh okay um fuck uh i'm gonna go with um let me try wally I can't remember if that came out in 2010, but if it didn't, I'm all right. Wally is the guess. Wally from the year of our Lord 2008, and that is number 13 okay. on the list. So that is a point for Harry Return of oh. the Sack Mackin. As Aaron already staked a claim on Return of the Mac. I'm sorry. That's, the patent's already pending. There's nothing I can do. Uh, you can't even be so fucking busy here. Fucking sense. Going. 
It, yeah, what are you talking? You ah, whatever. Come on, you're you're winning right now, so you got it. You got it all good. Um, you know who has it less good is Aaron, who's in second place, but he's now on the clock, so we'll see what happens. Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo is it's got to be the most guess, popular Pixar film from that. Uh, yeah, I'm told it's the best animated film of this decade. <laughs> Somehow, though, it is not on this list. Really? Somehow. Get fucked. Owned. <laughs> How's that possible? Do, I'm so confused. I'm, okay. I'm gonna do control. I'm gonna do control F just to make sure. Yep. Yeah, it's it's not that's, that's not all there. right. My contacts are drying out. But yes, that's it so yeah, confirmed. It was not on the list. It was yeah, well, I mean, that's crazy though. I mean no, it was I massive, mean, but they're also film, so it's fine. Yeah, okay. I mean Nemo's also the same no, so on. how massive can it be? Wally's a better uh, film finding Nemo. What the <laughs> fuck are you that's, talking about? What what? That's actually that's absurd. Do we have what are you ta- talking about? Do, do we? I mean, have I don't because I, I don't think any I, of the, I either of them are. We have time for this. But. Pretty big. Yeah, Jason, Pixar you're movies. you're on Wall-E's side, right? I haven't seen either of them in long enough to know, but I know I've. I've Shit's fat. Dance around game. in space. They're dancing Shit. around in space, but the, the they got the fucking fire extinguisher. It's, it's beautiful. It's cute. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a weird, weird fat phobic <laughs> movie. Uh, but it's beautiful. But Finding Nemo promotes traditional family values, so who can really That's say? Point. It's a good point. Finding Nemo is about the danger of a single parent household. I don't know if I can condone that. <laughs> Extremely true. Uh, none of them are better than Shrek the Third, so it's fine. Uh, Jason, we're back to is you that a for hint? your guess. Uh, Shrek no. the Third. Um, we're back to you, Jason. You've got you've got two strikes, so, so tread carefully. You're on the clock. Sorry, I started the music a little bit early. Um, yeah, you're good. It, you're it good. wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a hint. We're not in cahoots here. I I I'm gonna guess Shrek two. Shrek Pooh is Bold. the guess. Regrettably, Shrek Poo is Fuck, not he failed on me twice. the list. Donkey, uh, Um That's uh, the the only half-acid Shrek impression y'all. Try Shark Tale is... next, though. See what happens. You we'll just uh, keep, keep going down that route, bro. <laughs> that is three strikes for Jason. Um, Harry and Aaron are still in contention. Uh, Harry has no strikes. Aaron has one. The score is three to two in favor of Harry. We'll see what happens. Harry, you are on the clock. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is the guess, uh, a little-known film from 2008 that tops this list at number one. So that is a point for Harry. I hate Letterboxd so fucking much. Solid and yet, flick. And yet here you are. Uh, pretty solid, solid flick. flick. Is, yeah, it better than, is it better than Finding Nemo? Um, well, it's not animated, so I can't answer that question, mm. unfortunately. Uh, I don't know. Um, not better than shrek ever after or whatever the fourth <laughs> one is called uh aaron we're back to you uh you're on the clock gets get the uh we are going to prove the uh cameron haters right or wrong i'm going with avatar on this one shot called avatar Holy shit. on this one is the guess no, just avatar, avatar. Uh, nope, nope, not too, uh, no. I saw the the air quotes. Uh, Avatar from two thousand nine is number ten on this list. So that is point. Nice, they're proven right. List. Big no, big Jim, unstoppable. Big Jim, <laughs> he's back. <laughs> uh, Avatar, uh, the only animated film better than Toy Story two. We're back to Harry. Uh, Harry, uh, sitting at four points. Aaron sitting at three. No strikes yet for Harry. See if you can keep the streak alive. Harry, you are on the clock. I don't think I can, Cody. Um, I'm going to try Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I feel like fucking everybody nah, loves to talk about that stupid movie. Came out after that, too. Wait, did uh, it? Cap- 
Oh, it did, didn't it? Fine, yeah, 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 you're right. Uh, regrettably, not on this list. Uh, I think I still prefer the first Captain America to this, no, which yeah, also was, did not. But uh, was that 2010? Well, the thing about the, you know thing about the Winter important. Soldiers, it's actually kind of like a spy thriller film. A lot of people oh, don't God, know this. Kill me dead. Um, but oh, it, that's, that's, why I vo- that's why I voted. But it's actually <laughs> I, I kind of like a, you, you know, like a really deep Tinker Tailor. Anyway, continue. Oh, God. <laughs> kill me dead. Uh, hey, Aaron, you're we're back to you. You're on the clock. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the letterboxed uh, Cretan some credit here. I'm going in the mood for love. Love's in the mood in the mood for, for love. love. In the mood for love is the guess. In the mood for love is not on this list. Uh, uh, I can't remember how close letterbox mob. Letterbox legion. They giveth and they taketh away. Um, much like Shrek two. Uh, Harry, we're back to you. One strike on the board, sitting at four points, currently still leading Aaron by one. You're on the clock. I'll go with The Incredibles. The Incredibles is the guess. The Incredibles is number 22 on this list. So that's a point for Harry. Unbeatable. Macken. Yeah. The unbeatable Spotless. Harry Mackin. I didn't it's come back Netflix to Mackin domination. You know, this I mean, is, why, I, this is not why I returned to the pod. I am the only one that uh, has guessed a movie that was not made in this decade so far. So don't give me too That's much true. credit. Oh yeah, I forgot you didn't get a point. Okay, very very good. Okay, okay. yeah, this game giveth and Hold it on. taketh away, like Shrek Two. Uh, Aaron, we're back to you. You are on the clock. This is make a break for me. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm going Inception. No, wait. Ins- yeah, no, no, I already said first it. Guess. Yeah, yeah I saw it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was very good, though. No way! <laughs> but I have, I have a better guess. Than, oh, it's fine. Uh, in- Inception is is 2010, also not on this list. Um, no! That would explain it. Well, shit. Uh, um, All right, somebody Venmo's me $10. I have a very good guess for you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, are we so Harry wins? But are there any other movies that we want to toss out? Twilight, there for this of course. I'm, I'm going to yeah, say Twilight, Twilight Rat, Ratatouille. Yeah. I couldn't remember if Ratatouille was was. I, uh, yeah, was, I think that yeah, might be 2009. Sure. No, or well, no? Did it predate? Uh, I feel like it predates. Wally? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. I think so. so that was my. That was wow, going to be my guess. Those were one and two there. Yeah. Um, yeah. let me anything else for receipts purposes? Uh, can, can, two towers, can later? I check? <laughs> yeah, also, two towers would be a tiger hidden dragon is such a lar- or and gladiator. Those wait, two wait, wait. in the movie stretch, love wasn't but... on this list, but you think crushing tiger would be crushing tiger? Um, uh, it won more Oscars. Yeah, my... <laughs> look, one best foreign <laughs> film, buddy. All right, over yee yee, by the way. Oh, oh. Well, <laughs> wait. Crouching Tiger did in 2000? Yeah, it was oh, nominated, wow, yeah. nominated for the same country, too. So Yeah. yeah. Ouch. Well, Awkward. Country. Hey, those are good movies. They're both good movies. In the movie, yeah, that was better. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, over ye. Oh, in yeah. In the for Love also didn't win. Mm. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. Fucking oh, yeah, you're against. right. Crouching Tiger is Solid Taiwanese. year for Asian cinema. Yeah. Uh, yes. Turns yeah. out. Holy shit. Turns out. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Iron Man, Cody. I don't know if anybody's like rewatched mm. Iron Man since Iron Man whenever it came was out. Was what, 2010. No, it wasn't. Six, oh eight. It was like oh six. What the? F- it was a long time. Oh seven. Ago. It was oh seven. Oh eight. Okay. Yep. Iron Man was two thousand eight. Okay, all right. Was it on there? So 
Uh, okay. Yeah. We were talking about Crouching Tiger. I did have one note about that. Was two oh, towers yeah. um, better than every animated film except Toy Story Two? Oh, oh, that's wild. oh damn! Uh, so now uh, I'm going to go through read from so uh, Harry won with a score of five to three to one, uh, and only one straight given up. Um, and domination hashtag etc etc. I will now read off in order from twenty five to one the most popular films of the two thousands going by the uh, empirical metric of letterboxed popularity. At number 25, 2009's 500 Days of Summer. Number 24, 2024, we'll have a few of those. Number 24, 2004's Howl's Moving Castle. Number 23, 2003's uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Number 22, 2004's The Incredibles. Number 21, 2007's Zodiac. Number uh, number 20, 2000's Memento. Number 19, 2002's, uh, number 19, 2002's Spider-Man. Oh, I was going to guess that. (sighs) Number 18, 2001's uh, Sorcerer's Stone. Number 17, 2006's Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, Number 16, 2008's Iron Man. Number 15, 2004's Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh boy. Number 14, 2007's No Country for Old Men. Number 13, 2008's Wally. Number 12, 2009's Up. Number 11, 2009's Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, number 10's, uh, number 10's? Number 10, <laughs> 2009's Avatar. Number 9, 2001's Donnie Darko. Number 8, 2001's Fellowship of the Ring. Number 7, 2007's Ratatouille. Number 6, 2003's Kill Bill Volume 1. Number 5, 2004's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Number 4, 2009's Inglorious Bastards. How did you guys not guess some of these? Uh, number 3, 2001's that's crazy to Away. Me. Number two, 2000's American Psycho. That one. Inglorious Bastards made like what? $400 million at the box? What? And number one. None of these movies were watched nice. when they came out. I, under, I understand. Letterboxd didn't it's, exist in the you know, 2000s. You have to make some sort of assumption about. Th- th- this list is well, animated clearly. films and then twee comedies. It makes no <laughs> fucking sense to me. Fantastic Mixer Fox, you out of your fucking mind? Why the where, fuck would that does, be on the does, top? Where, no, where no country American for Psycho. old men. The twee comedy. Yeah, where does American <laughs> well, Psycho look, fall? That's in like that the, the you know, yes, the exception there. Thank you, but like <laughs> Little Miss Sunshine, a top twenty-five movie of a decade. Are you fucking? You kidding forget me? who uses Letterboxd, man. Like is Napoleon Dynamite on this fucking list? What are you talking about? <laughs> they let What's anybody in here. Uh, but the hey, world is Napoleon breaking Dynamite, down. Little Miss Sunshine are in my top four on Letterboxd. You back the fuck They're off. Good. I'm a twee little asshole. <laughs> 500, days of su- I, 500 Days of Summer does make sense. That's number three. Oh, that's, that's, that that's Reddit has kept propping that movie up in this list. Just like... What, did you know that he's like actually the bad guy in that movie? I, <gasps> no one's ever talked about it. Did you hear about the Winter Soldier, by the way? I don't know if I really stress <laughs> that point dead, enough. Where a lot of again people and again. are maybe tired of comedy. Uh, this is where oh, Cody God, should be giving so Harry the chance to pop off to see uh, if I can Oh, yeah, pop it. off. I just I was gonna let y'all cut. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. Like, uh, it's like Aaron said. It's like I won uh, many times in the past, and then there was sort of like a period of time when I didn't win, and now I'm winning again. You could call that some kind of I don't know, return of the Mac, so perhaps. Much. That's right. I, if 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 someone wants to go through the history of the show and take count of who has won Cody's Noties the most, I think there's a pretty obvious answer for who has won Cody's Noties the most. Go, yeah, go for it, Aaron. Do it. Maybe I go, should one day. Go for it. Just like come in and just hard facts and figures. You know what I mean? Let's just ride out on this. We're, well, we haven't got to well, sign well, out, we, do we? We got to sign, sign out. We got to sign out. If it's your first back, uh, right, thank sign, you so much. Keep playing this Coach, while we're signing yep, out. It's it's got the whole four minute song. Don't worry. 
This has been an episode of Try Love about Yee Yee. Thank you so much for listening. Yes, Thank I you, Cody, did. For, for ending this episode with a fun game. We're reaching two hours of this discussion, uh, and every minute was worth it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. Find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Uh, the Edward Yang Giant of Taiwanese Cinema continues with one more movie after this, and that's going to be uh, That Day on the Beach. Catch tickets to that at Trilon.org. See if you like, uh, and uh, and maybe I think it's on the Internet Archive. If you want to see that one, um, if you don't get to see it at Trilon, but hey, buy something at the Trilon, get tickets, sign up for their loyalty program, get some merch. It's a really cool place, and we all love going there. So uh, check us out on Twitter at Trilon Podcast. Find me, little old Jason Daphnis, on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore bh. Oh my God! I've been Harry Mac in and you can find me on twitter at shiitake harry i'm aaron and if you're listening to this we've been arrested for mass copyright infringement please rescue me from jail i am not fit for this kind of a life thank you you can find me on twitter at rb please it begins to acquire signs of human life it begins to think then matures into a living entity and becomes our most devoted companion that's the limitless future for computer games. We haven't yet surpassed fighting and killing games, not because we haven't fully understood computers, but because we haven't fully understood ourselves, human beings. Human beings.